on the word. Okay. Uh, first, I want to mention yeah. that a friend of my daughter Anna, and we, we know her too, Nancy, over at uh, King of Prussia, has grown sick and uh, has uh, pneumonia and a lot of fluid on her lungs and she was also dehydrated and she was put in the ICU at the hospital. So I want to take time to pray for her. Father, uh, we love Nancy and we care about her and what happens to her. And she's had a lot of struggles, Lord, and difficulties in and, and, uh, her life and her home. And uh, now she is laying sick. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, to really be near to her heart and comfort her heart and help her to take courage in you, Lord Jesus, and bless her with grace from heaven to free her from her sickness, Lord. They deliver her, Lord, and strengthen her and make her even stronger in faith and encouragement, Lord. And bless Anna for reaching out to her and help her to continue to be a friend to her, Lord Jesus, and help us to do what we can to be a blessing, whoever has opportunity. We want to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I want to read in Matthew, I want to begin there, Matthew chapter 7. Can you speak up there? Sorry. I got the fan in my ear, I can't hear you. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know if I can outdo the fan or not, I'll try. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7. Okay, it uh, starts with verse 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye, but cons considers not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in, in thine eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Uh, that's a very interesting word. Uh, but there's another word that I am thinking of. I, I'm not going to turn to it because I don't know exactly where it's found. But it says that Man looketh at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. 
And uh, my thought came to me like this. Uh, the reason we're not to judge is because we are limited. All we see is the outward. So God looks at every person's heart. And then I want to read also what it says in uh, Luke chapter 6. Um, in verse 37. I'm so, yeah, six, six, okay, I see what I got wrong. I'm in Mark, not Luke. <laughs> Luke chapter 6, 37. Okay. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Isn't that wonderful? If I don't judge, I won't be judged. That's a comforting word, isn't it? <laughs> Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. And that's a word that came so clear to me when I was in Ghana, Africa, where they do a lot of things different than what I'm used to. <laughs> and uh, so... It came to me like this. Jesus, Jesus said to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And uh, then I thought about, I was asked to give uh, a five minute little sermon before my brother that I went with will have the main message. So I, and that I was not expecting that, so. I said, well, what, what am I going to speak about in five minutes? Uh, and then this verse came to me. God gave me this verse. And uh, so I thought, well, what can I add to that to make it more living? What is what this all means to us as believers? And then it, that scripture, Jesus said to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And I thought, what a wonderful keys this is. If I don't judge, I won't be judged. If I don't condemn, I won't be condemned. And if I, I forgive, I will be forgiven. And that means I'm in pretty good standing with Jesus. So I just thought, you know, uh, there are so many more scriptures that we have to deal with besides this. This is not the, the Alpha and the Omega of the Gospel, you know. There's more. So how, we, how do we uh, differ between these different scriptures and I'll bring them out as we go through. Um, I do want to read John 5 uh, in John chapter 5, something that Jesus said, which is also a comforting and encouraging word, um, what he said to the, um, 
people that he was talking to in his day. He said in, uh, in uh, verse 44, I will begin reading, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. That's the word that's really hit. Do not think that I'm going to accuse you to the Father. What a, what a friend to have that doesn't accuse me to the Father. He could have well have right to do that, to accuse us to the Father for our mistakes, for our maybe uh, whatever, failures, failures that we make. But he says, um, there is there is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Now I want to go to Romans chapter 2. There it says, Therefore, in verse 1, Thou art an inexcusable man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest an other, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest does the same thing. Now what is what then is that same thing? I fail to keep all God's word. In other words, I come short of the glory of God. So if I accuse another. Maybe it's not the same exact thing that I maybe have done, but he that offends in one point is guilty of all it says. So uh, if I fail to do all God's will and keep all God's commandments, and I begin to judge another that's doing that, I'm condemning myself because I do the same thing. I fail. So. And then, I want to go to, from there, I want to go to Romans chapter 14. Let's keep in mind that we have God's Word for all instructions we need to live a godly life, which is what we're called to. We're called to live a godly life, holy and obedient to God, and we are also exhorted to help one another in that. So how can we do that but refrain from judging? That is man's problems, right? <laughs> How can we do all that and refrain from judging? It's possible to understand correctly. Uh, remember, I just read, don't judge and you won't be judged. Condemn not and you won't be condemned. Those two go hand in hand. That's why they're together in that verse. Because when I really judge a person, you know what I'm judging? I'm judging the motives 
of the heart. The reason why they do what they're doing, because then I feel also right to condemn, right? But if I appeal to God, when I see my brother do something, uh, and I pray for him, not judging him, but asking God to help him to see more clearly, uh, and asking him to help me see more clearly, because we're both in this same fight, fight the good fight of faith. That same battle has to be won for each one of us. And we're all different. We're all at different levels of development, different levels of light, different levels of understanding about some things. So now we go to um, Romans 14. Follow. I'm beginning in verse 1 again. Follow after, hold on, here I'm not in Romans, I'm in Corinthians. Now I go to Romans 14. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. What are doubtful disputations? Doubtful disputations are a problem. Judging. They are. They're a product of judging. In other words, I'm doubtful of that person's salvation because I see him do some things I couldn't do. Right? So then there comes doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God has received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's soul? We have to keep that in mind. This person is not my servant. He's not under to be under my tongue. So I I'm to be a, an inspiration to the brothers and sisters, not a judge. I'm supposed to be one who can encourage and build up. But we see, well, I'll read on further in this. One man esteemeth one day above another. Now I remember many years ago when I was a young Christian, uh, I had this thought, you know, people in Amish church and Mennonite church that I was acquainted with, they all held very strongly that you must not work on Sunday, that it's sin. It's like for them the Sabbath day. But I was like, that's not what the Bible says. I didn't, I didn't think that's correct. So we were down visiting a, a Mennonite couple, a pastor down in Tennessee, and uh, so he said that he has people that are believers around in the neighborhood that are promoting that they don't have to work on, they don't have to keep Sunday that strict, you know, that they can do some work. And they, he said, this was his the response to them, 
when they said, one man esteemeth one day above another, another man esteemeth every day alike. He said they can do all the steaming they want to, but if they don't keep the Sunday, they'll completely lose out on keeping the Sunday, if they work on Sunday. He felt very strongly that they need to keep this Sunday kind of like the Sabbath, you know. But who does that? Even the people who claim to keep the Sabbath, do they keep the Sabbath like Moses teaches? I haven't met one yet. So, anyhow, this is where judging comes in at, these type of things. So, he, it seems that way to me. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it, he that saith, eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, ye die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do thou judge thy brother, or why, do, why do, dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, and every bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Let us therefore not judge one another anymore. Amen. My heart says amen. <laughs> but judge this, rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So judging must begin here. I must judge myself. And the more I let God's word judge me, and the more cleansing that takes place in my life to clear out all those things which are just human, human understanding of things, uh, the more helpful I can be and the more I can be a blessing to the brothers and sisters who are pursuing this life. Now if there's one, if there are those who are not pursuing this life, what can we do? We have to leave them alone. But those who are together and want to follow Jesus, we can help one another, and there are some scriptures for that too. <laughs> so we can turn to Timothy. Second Timothy. Uh, 
I think it's in Trinity. It says all scriptures given by inspiration of God. Huh? Um, Second Timothy three sixteen. Second Timothy three, yes. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and truly furnished unto all good works. Well, that has to begin at first of all at me but it's also something I can use to help my brothers and sisters so then in Titus chapter 2 I want to look at that and that'll be the last of the scriptures I will read but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine how many of us know what all con is contained here? I wonder. But if we, if you read it, you'll find that it is so beautiful and balanced and helps keep everything going in a good direction when the older women, the younger women, the, the fathers and the younger men all fulfill their part in what it says here. And then, you, you can all read that as you have opportunity. But then, if you go to let's see. I thought it was here. Yeah. Verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So we, we as we have pure motives, uh, then, and we don't judge, we don't condemn, we don't, we, we do forgive, we love each other. Uh, in other words, forgiving is a, is a fruit of loving a person. How can you forgive a person if you hate the person? But if we love the person, we long to help them, and we're easy to forgive them, because we love them. That's brothers and sisters in Christ are to be like that. But if you think about what it says in <clears throat> in uh, Hebrews, I said this the last chapter I'm going to read, a verse I'm going to read, but it just came to me if I forgot one. Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, 
and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And uh, it says it also, all things are naked and open to him that have, whom, to whom we have to do. That's God. The Word of God helps us so that we can direct our way in a good way that is behaving in godliness. And in um, Hebrews, uh, or in Romans 14, if I'd have read a little further, it says, let all things be done unto edification. So edification is a kind of thing where all are being encouraged. If I'm pressed down and weighed down with my feelings, my difficult times I had today, and I get edified by someone, it means my spirits are lifted. My encouragement is strengthened. I get fresh courage to keep going, you know. So that's the calling of the church. The calling of the church is that we all get encouragement when we get together and that hopeless feeling, discouraging and all that is removed and we take fresh courage. We feel blessed of God. <laughs> Anyhow. That's my message to this morning. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Beginning in verse 1. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 1. time the disciples came to Jesus saying who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and then Jesus called a little child to him set him in the midst of them and said surely I say to you unless you are converted and become as little children you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven therefore whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one child like this in my name, receives me. Whatever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and be thrown in the depths of the sea. So very strong words by Jesus. And, <clears throat> excuse me, when he was asked <clears throat> who is the greatest in the kingdom of God, he takes a child and sits him in front of everybody. And he says, if you don't become converted, changed, and become like this little child, there's no way, no way you're going to enter the kingdom of God. So the conversion to Jesus is going to bring about childlike qualities in somebody if there's a true conversion. And he says in verse 4, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this child, little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It takes humility, God-given humility, a changed heart, 
to become childlike. And as we look at some scriptures today, you'll see some things that reflect on this a little bit. The opposite, of course, of humility is pride. We read in the Old Testament that pride comes before the fall and a haughty look before destruction. And pride is a work of the flesh. That kind of pride. The Bible says, we're going to be proud. Let's be, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. Or he that boasts, let him boast in the Lord. So, in chapter 19... read something very similar. Chapter 19 and verse 13. And little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. For Jesus said, Let the little children come unto me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are disciples of Jesus have childlike qualities. That's what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? He says, of such is the kingdom of heaven. And then, of course, it says, He laid His hands on them and departed, then departed from them. And then, in the three accounts of this, in, in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the next thing that follows is a story of a rich man who comes to Jesus. Let's follow this story. Verse 16. And behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, Should murder, commit adultery, steal... Bear false lying, bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have. Give to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In one of the other accounts it says how hard it is for a man who trusts in his riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so this man had great possessions. And Jesus put his finger on that. Give it to the poor. Share. This man was not childlike. And that's why. When he was given the word of God, the word of the Lord, what he still needed to do to enter the kingdom of God, oh no, he walked away. He walked away from eternal life. Because he was not willing to lay down his life. 
was not willing. When Jesus put his finger on his problem and what he needed to do, he rejected Jesus and walked away. Before that, he was all for Jesus, wanting to hear what he had to say. The childlike attitude is one that says, this is the Word of God. I must do it. We have to understand something, that when we come to read God's Word, we come to hear from Him, there's something already understood, that He's the Lord. And when we come to Him and, and look into His Word, there's already an understanding that because He is Lord, what He says, what He teaches us, we must do. In the Gospel of Matthew, earlier it says, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and don't do the things that I tell you? Well, actually, that's in the Gospel of Mark. There is an understood expectation from God that we should understand, that we should have a humble approach to the things that are in the Word of God. That childlike approach. The Lord says this. We must do it. Is that a gospel of works? No, it is a response of faith to the person who we believe is Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, but Lord. Our Lord. The Apostle Paul says, we don't belong to ourselves anymore, that we've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God in our bodies. We don't belong to us anymore. So if we don't belong to us anymore, we belong to Him. So that should be an understanding that that's the end of self-will. Of doing things our way. That old song in the world, I did it my way. Sorry, we're not called to do it our way, we're called to do it God's way. Because we don't belong to ourselves. Jesus bought us with His own blood. So there should be that understanding there that we should have. So when Jesus talks about being childlike, you understand it's the humility of laying down our will and accepting the will of Him who died for us and gave His life us, our Master, our Lord, our Savior. And so, because there's this belief and understanding, we have to have that childlike approach to the things that Jesus taught us. And also... The things the apostles taught us. Jesus told his apostles and his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have taught you. In the book of Acts, it says the new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the words of Jesus and the apostles should be greatly respected and honored because they're the words of our Lord. But we have to have that humble approach and lay aside the flesh to be like a child. That is the evidence, according to Jesus, of being converted. Of course, our flesh is going to fight against that. But the Bible gives us authority. The Bible gives us clear indication that we have authority to take control of our flesh and to submit ourselves to the Lord.
We go to uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 10. Second book of the Bible, Exodus, chapter 10. Beginning in verse 3. So Moses and Aaron came unto Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Now this is a man who definitely was not childlike in his approach and his attitude. And God had already been dealing with him and God was calling him to humble himself to his word. And his continuing refusal to humble himself and accept God's lordship over him, because he was lord over all of Egypt, and so he wanted nothing to do with anybody else's lordship. And someone in authority over him told him, you know, humble yourself before me. And he refused. And what happened? He destroyed Egypt. All of Egypt was destroyed because of Pharaoh's hardness of heart. Because of his unwillingness to humble himself before the Lord. And cost him the life of his son and the lives of all the firstborn sons of Egypt. And like I said, the kingdom of Egypt was destroyed by God's plagues that he brought upon him. Because Pharaoh refused to humble refused to humble himself. And there's a message in that that we want to think on. But from there I want to go to the book of uh, I believe it's Numbers, Numbers chapter twelve. Two two books over. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Chapter 12. <clears throat> Verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any more than all the men that were on the face of the earth. The man that God chose to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt was not an arrogant man, wasn't a proud, egotistical man. He says he was the most humble man on the earth at his time. How did that happen to Moses? Moses was a royalty in Egypt before he 
escaped and lived in Midian for 40 years as a shepherd. He was ready to deliver the children of Israel when he was 40 years old. But it didn't work out. It wasn't until 40 years later when God chose him after he had been a shepherd for 40 years and he was humbled and then God was ready to use him. And it says he was the most humble man of his generation, the face of the whole earth. From there, go to Deuteronomy. The next book, Deuteronomy, chapter 8. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is a reason why God made them eat manna those 40 years. And let them go through many trials, as we read later on. God has a purpose to teach us to live by every word that comes from Him. And He brings us through that humbling process, just like He did with the children of Israel, to bring us to that place of childlike faith and childlike expectation in the Lord. And what did He do to do that? He brought them through trials and tribulations and fed them, instead of feeding them the finest of foods, He fed them manna, which they despised for years. Why did God do it? He was teaching them to live by every word from Him and not by bread alone, not by food, not by fancy foods, not by all those things. But we must live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if we're not there, God is going to bring us to that process where He's going to humble us until we are in that place. And if you go down to verse 14, the same chapter, it says, When your heart is lifted up, you forget the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions, and a thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness of manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and that he might test you to do you good in the end. God doesn't do anything without a purpose. God is not an aimless God. And so we see that here, 
that God brought them and made them live in a wilderness for 40 years to humble them. To humble them. That generation that survived that 40 years in the wilderness has said that whole generation, when they went into the promised land, they served the Lord, that first generation. To humble you and test you to do you good in the end. God has our interest in mind. But the process that God brings us through is a process to humble us. To bring us that childlike spirit, that childlike place. Which way is the Holy Spirit leading? This way. The way of that childlike spirit, that childlike faith. And so then we go to 2 Kings chapter 22 is a tremendous story. 2 Kings chapter 22. A little background on this story is, is that the, that the kings of Judah, many of the kings of Judah had been corrupt and idol worshippers. And King Josiah became king when he was eight years old. And we'll read 2 Kings 22, beginning in verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was delivered in the house, and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work who have received the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. He was 26 years old when he heard the book of the law, the king of Judah. You know what that means? That means that for 18 years that he was king, that the book of the law hadn't yet even heard it. The book of the law had been lost. And hidden in the temple and neglected because of the corruption. It was a corrupt time. Corrupt time. But when the king of Judah heard it, 26-year-old Josiah says he tore his clothes. Verse 12, Then the king commanded Elkiah the priest, Elkiah and all these others, saying, verse 13, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for Judah, concerning the words of this book that have been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So they all went, Haikai the priest, Ikem, Akbar, Shaphan, Isaiah, went to hold of the prophetess, wife of Shalom, and they spoke with her. Verse 15, And she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, 
Behold, I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this matter you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they shall come a desolation accursed, and you tore your clothes and you wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered together to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. He heard the word of the Lord and he responded with fear, the fear of the Lord. And he humbled himself and he prayed and he fasted and he wept. He tore his clothes. This is one example of that humble spirit, that childlike spirit. He heard, hears the word of God and he responds and he calls out to the Lord. And he sends people to seek the Lord. And you see other examples of this of men of God. And so, the message is very clear to us. That childlike spirit, as Jesus says, is what happens when we're converted. He gives us that childlike spirit. But do we walk in it? Do we walk in the spirit? The spirit of the Lord is a humble spirit. It gives us humility. It should give us Humility. He gives, puts humility in our, our hearts. If we let Him, we let Him lead us. But if we're proud and stubborn as we hear the Word of God, if we're dismissive of things that God says because they don't appeal to the flesh, like the rich man, sell all I have and give it to the poor. Are you kidding me? I got all this stuff. Didn't like what he heard, did he? He walked away from eternal life. He walked away from it because of his stuff. He turned away the true riches for temporary ones. But do you see the reaction to the flesh? If the flesh doesn't like something in the Word of God. And there are things in the Word of God that are not at all in our comfort zone. We don't like to hear some of those things. And therefore we have a choice. Either to dismiss them, or to try to explain it away, or to have some theologian explain it away for us. We accept it. We humble ourselves because that's what God says. When He says to love our enemies, to do good to those who do evil to us, it doesn't appeal to our flesh, does it? To bless those who curse us? Somebody does evil to us. We're going to get them back. We're going to be angry with them and say angry things to them. But they slander us. But Jesus says, Blessed are you when people do that stuff to you. Rejoice. 
Great is your reward in the kingdom of heaven. Or do we want the reward here instead? So that's why we have to humble ourselves to submit to Him. Because, like I said, a lot of these things that Jesus and the apostles teach us, they don't appeal to our human nature in the least. And we recognize that. Jesus said, no man who tastes the old wine desires the new. Because He says the old is better. There's some things that in the Old Testament can appeal to us more. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You know? There's none of this having to love your enemies stuff. Do good to those who do evil to us and all this stuff. So we can... Our flesh would prefer to embrace the old, not the new. But with the new covenant comes new teaching. Jesus brought new teaching. We read on the Sermon on the Mount and going forward. So we finish with two scriptures, one from Peter, one from James. First from Peter, first Peter chapter five, I believe it is. Yeah, chapter five. Verse 3, he tells that those who are pastors, overseers, not to be lords over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the law. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, and all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting your care upon Him because He cares for you. If we walk in pride and we refuse to humble ourselves before God's Word, He's going to resist us. God is going to stand against us in some ways. We may not even recognize it. Why is God letting this happen? Why is God doing this to me? Why is God looking the other way when this is happening? We won't even understand sometimes what's going on. But if we're being resistant to His Word, and not being childlike, remember what He said to the children of Israel. I brought you through the wilderness all these tough things to humble you. God is going to bring us through a series of things for the purpose of humbling us. And so if He's trying to humble us, it says... We should humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God. That He will exalt us in due time. For God resists the pride of man. But He gives grace to the humble. We want God to be gracious to us. And so, we have to understand that when we look at our lives. 
Because there's a lot of things in our lives that we might have we might struggle to be interpreting them. Remember, God is putting each of us through a process. And each of those processes are not going to look alike. You know, a lot of times they're not going to look alike. We can't look over the, uh, our shoulder other people. We've got to break this in and look at it our own life. And the other one is in the, God, in the book of James, which is before that. James chapter 4. Chapter 4. Beginning of verse 5. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain? Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, but He gives us more grace. Therefore He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to God, to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. You notice in that last thing that I just read, humble yourself in the sight of God. We're not putting on any show. This is between us and God. To humble ourselves before God. When we go to look into our word, we're not just reading a book, we're looking into his word. What is God saying to me? Not to Joe, 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 Brother Joe down the street. What's God saying to me? He's speaking to me. What is he saying? And he's saying that, okay, well then I gotta do it. I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but if God tells me to do something, he will certainly empower me to do it. The childlike spirit. Humbling ourselves in the sight of God. When we fall into temptation, God didn't fail us. We can't point our fingers at God and say, God failed us. No. We fell short of this Lord. It is us somehow. Maybe we don't even know how. We must humble ourselves and not point our finger at God but in the mirror. Brother Dave, you want to comment on this? 